The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? I'm Nadia Davis. I'm a mom, author, attorney, and kundalini yoga teacher who has experienced public shaming that brought me to my knees. On this podcast, I'm going to tell you how I'm living the work taking shame out of the shadows. I'll give you real-life advice and skills to take away with you throughout your day. You'll hear from powerful guests who have overcome trauma and emerged stronger than ever. You too can ban the shame within and around you. Join me. You are not alone. Satnam, everybody, and welcome home. Welcome home. Gosh, it just occurred to me that I said home and Satnam at the same time. And when I first heard that phrase, uh, I had no, no idea how special that phrase would become to me and that it really would be when I know what my satnam is, when I'm connected to that, that I, I can feel safe in my own mind and body. And I was talking to Priya before this about how I'm learning to um, have self-deprecation and laugh at myself a little more because I, I love introspection. I love meditation and those like, aha, um, connecting of the dots. That's more my, my mind at work, um, being so thrilled about, about an intuition, about more of a, a spiritual feeling and sense. And so afterwards, because there's so many downloads now, um, when it's shining in my my mental processes, that's the most beautiful time for me to write. And um, as I've prepared for our, these conversations with people, um, I kind of try to find a middle ground between the attorney and me that's looking at the last conversation and the themes and topics to talk about, as well as just following my heart. And so I didn't have a whole bunch of time to go and make my little questions and stuff, which is probably a good thing because I'm gonna I'm going to continue this conversation today with Priya Jane, founder of Seventh Chakra Institute of Spiritual Sciences. And I selfishly call her my spiritual mentor. Um and I just adore this woman who whose wisdom has helped so many people and just shines so much so much light into this world. So in our last conversation, conversations, um, we have covered things from your childhood story um, and what you termed as a sense of awkwardness, um, as being the beginnings of shame, which was beautiful because here we're dragging shame out of the shadows and trying to to just wrap our heads around how it shows up. And 
we don't need to like force the feelings into that word, but it kind of helps things out when we're having different dynamics of it to say, oh, okay, I remember hearing that that may become shame. Or I remember hearing, um, I mean, most of all, what shame does to me, how when it's at that point, we are separated from our true self and, and really each other. And all kinds of things can happen from that isolation. We don't, can't put our feelings into words and, and so on. And so when I asked Priya to describe how it came up in her um, then, and maybe it comes up today, here is Priya, I believe a spiritual guru who's earned that title and leads many into mindfulness. So it was so fun to just dive into her story and how she thought that it showed up as a child. And I would love to hear how it may today, it's probably less shame, but that feeling of awkwardness that you brought up, um, I think many people can relate to. And then we talked about how to nurture a sense of self that is healthy, an introspection for our children and for ourselves that that takes the focus away from meeting all of the outside demands, titles, and and let me backstep here. We were talking about kids and how uh, we can nurture a sense a sense of self, a sense of what they are, what their gift is, what their skills are, what their talents are. And lo and behold, you know, that is completely the opposite of what is heard in the program. In a 12-step programs, we are told to not to watch and that one of the biggest defects, quote unquote, is self-centeredness. And so when I heard this concept, it took a while for me myself. So now as a mom, I can see how to help my kids have healthy, for lack of a better term, self-centeredness. But for myself to hear, um, I mean, I was so self-centered in so many ways and my self-pity and so many other things. But, but when we get to a point where we can analyze our own healthy level of identity and autonomy and of what I think is part of the negative mind and, and protecting that, um, that is wonderful. And so I wanted to tap a little bit more into that. But what it enables, if there are parents listening, is building that healthy balance of a sense of identity and 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 just less focus on outside uh, with everything in the world today that that brings us focusing outward on everything grades whatever how we look all of that there's so much to talk about here um this is so important um it's so important to differentiate between 
selfish self-centeredness when really the ego mind is completely all in control, yet finding freedom in realizing it is the ego mind, and then further realizing that when we can connect more and more and go within to see what our true selves offer to the world, that that balance can, is really, really beautiful. And we can not have an unhealthy self-centeredness and instead um, be part of the whole, the whole cycle of this living life more fully. So that is everything in a summary. Um, I, I believe I would like you to a bit review what you meant by, by, because I think what you meant by helping a child to look within themselves and how it really can help us as adults do that for our child within us. So can you review a little bit about that? and why it's important. Hmm, that's a lot. I'm going to take a breath here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you were speaking of, just to you know, bring up the discussion, it was how uh, the young boy you were working with um, was stressed out, and, and he, you asked him to to look at himself and all he's doing, and then to to list some things about himself. Now, that may come off like an odd question. Priya, tell me some things about yourself. <laughs> and, well, he, you said to him, tell me some things about yourself. And he said, well, probably looked at you puzzled. And then what happened after that? Well, it, no, none of us really look at ourselves or at least the traits within us that are inborn, that come naturally to us. There, there's a way for our mind to completely bypass that. But the way we gauge ourselves or measure ourselves is how the world might be viewing us. We gauge ourselves by what we don't have yet. Right, that's the the stage of growth, the teenage years and the twenties and the possibly mid thirties. It's all about trying to locate ourselves. So my intention with that question was: Is there a way that you can locate some qualities within yourself that are not based in lack, that are already there that you might not be noticing at all, that other people might see? and cherish and love, but because you have no recognition of it, mm -hmm. all that your mind focuses on is what you don't have, your weaknesses. And that creates a sense of insecurity and anxiousness and a lack of space and anchor anchoring within the self, right? So you mentioned a couple of words which are interesting. It's important to understand there's a difference between self-absorption, self-centeredness, and self-awareness. 
say more. And in every stage of our maturity, our developmental process, we go, we all go through these. Mm-hmm. We can start off being not aware of ourselves at all. So our sense of self is now constantly gained through reflection by what we are hearing from other people. The facial expressions of those around us, are we accepted? Are we understood? Is there something of value in me? When a parent rejoices in a really scribbly art that makes no sense at all, you know, and you say, wow, this is a masterpiece. The child's eyes just light up and they locate within themselves a possibility, something of value that makes it valid for them to be in existence. Mm-hmm. These tiny little nuggets, right? Now, then as we grow and we get into our teenage years, we start to become a little more self-absorbed, if you notice. We become the center of everything. We start to take our parents for granted. We start to take what they provide for us for granted because we assume that we are literally the center of the universe. It is a natural state and stage of development. Now, because it is not real, it's also very fragile, that sense of self. That self-absorption is, I can't see anyone else or anything else beyond me. Mm -hmm. And that state is not just limited to teenagers. You know, we can be in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even in our 90s, even on our deathbed, and still be completely (laughs) self-absorbed. Right? So physical age really has nothing to do with emotional, mental, or spiritual development stages. These can differ. Right. So... From self-absorption can come a moment of self-centeredness. And that usually happens when all we can think of is our own self-protection. If I'm intimidated, if I am under-resourced in any moment, or if I have too much on my plate, I my senses will have to block off everything else and limit my energy to me It's a natural process of Mm self-protection. We can create a sense of self-centeredness and we can be very reactive in that process and validate our reactiveness. We can be mean to someone else. We can be manipulative and we can validate our manipulativeness. (laughs) Right? Again, stage, age, process of development. But as we spiritually grow and mature, the component that comes in is the self-awareness. In the self-awareness, we can actually learn to balance what is of service to Mm -hmm. me and my satnam and what is not of service to me, what is taking me away from my home within me and what is bringing me back to my home within me. And that can look different in different areas. I see. So 
what I hear you saying is it's a difference between the identification with our true self versus, I mean, the, the, the self, the centeredness, the healthy centering is in what is, is knowing and then knowing our true self and then what is serving that versus the, the centering or focus on, on the mind, the outside, and, and what it can be an unhealthy ego. And do you know what I'm saying? And it's in the self-awareness of the thoughts that my ego mind is telling me um, I need to reach this goal or get that done. Yet when there can be an analysis of how much is this serving my true self, that that's that's the tide, that's the ebb and flow, whether something is really, okay. Yeah, and and to to decipher between these three stages because they're kind of fluid, one into another very quickly, right? You can be in the... you can be thinking, I'm serving the world, or I'm serving the other person, I'm being a conscious human being. And very quickly, you don't know when your ego can take you back into that self-absorption. Now it, now it becomes about you instead of the person you're serving. So in order to differentiate between these stages, it is, I think, very important to first understand which self are we talking about. There's two mm-hmm. selves that... that coexist within us, right? One is, like you said, the the true self, the satnam, the core, the soul, are the essence of our being, which is where the home is. And then there is the ego self, which was given to us to figure out how to live in this collective space. Or the shadow self, kind of, I've talked about. Yes, the, yes, the ego right? self. The ego was created as like a mate to the soul, that could facilitate our movement and understanding of ourselves in reflection by being around others, by being in this collective dimension, right? So the problem arises when the corruption in the ego self happens and it's, it usurps the entire sense of identity within itself and takes it away from the home, the soul, the essence. It usurps it and claims that me, the self, my I-ness, is what is absolutely and solely important. And I do. I mean, human existence, the majority believe that that is what we are. Yes. What is in our head. That's why I always have, I have these, all the different phrases. I mean, not only home is within you, but one of the chapter titles is, you are not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. Or I don't know if that's a chapter title, but it's in the book. Our truth is your identity is is the the chapter title where I learn I am not a body nor my thoughts. But what I see most people struggle with is 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 not having. Um, I mean, it is mindfulness, but but not not knowing, not knowing that that. Their true self 
and that our true identity is not what we're living in the this ego identity and and so and it's really hard for to differentiate when you're just beginning your journey in fact i'm going to read a part of the book that talks about that okay because what you're saying and navigating these three different things is is daily mhm and hopefully there's more of the the mindfulness self awareness where it's immediate where it becomes more consistent and and regular where where we know immediately okay i'm walking into this room um as this person and i'm connected with the true self and whatever you know the ek is going to deliver today um and navigating all of that versus only having the identity walking in and and everything is dependent on everything and person and energy around us which when i did that it brought me to my knees mm-hmm. and so there's freedom from this this way of living and i it's hard to wrap your fingers around what what we're saying but i'm hoping we can get to some simple steps um the part that i was able to find was okay i'm going to read this part and i hope that some can relate who are listening but it's in the the chapter book where i began therapy for the first time i was in treatment and this was a turning point where um a therapist said to me you are not a body and i thought she was nuts um and then i was introduced by the same treatment center to seventh chakra yoga and their studio and it was all baby steps for me first was just being able to sit long enough on the ground and then it was after enabling that after so many classes just trying meditation everybody has a starting point so i'm going to read this page and that gets into the concept of our satnam and the beginnings of learning what on earth we mean by that okay so this is on page 340 and i write and meditation well it was a lost cause in the beginning I was a mess in my head and nothing could stop the often agonizing chatterbox. But my repeating a mantra out loud, but by repeating a mantra out loud, my mind's harmful voice started to lose its reign, even if just during the actual class. Never in my lifetime had I ever attempted to put my mind in its place. Chanting mantras is an ancient practice that calms your mind and soul. Scientific studies have found that just chanting one word for 10 minutes can decrease anxiety and depressive symptoms in the human body. It can wipe out shame in its tracks. Its psychosomatic power is in one's hands just like our breath. Hell, if our ego minds are chanting crap thoughts over and over again, why not counter with a screw you saying? <laughs> You pick the word or phrase and just do it. Just start. 
So then I wrote, um, I guess that's not the right. I said, in Kundalini Yoga, I also found two words that served as a bridge back to that home within me. Not knowing at the time that that's what it would do, I heard the words sat nam. In the ancient Sikh language, Gurmukhi, sat means truth, nam means name. So together, sat nam essentially translate into something deeper. I am truth, or truth is my identity. I had allowed my identity to be based on everything outside me. Titles, roles, successes, the approval of others, my marriage, what was said by the press and system, even motherhood. As Buddha put it, my life was existential suffering by virtue of physical existence and my inability to locate myself, misplacing my identity in something or someone else. What was my original face underneath all that, as Priya asked, that unique, authentic individual form, completely clear, a place to belong, a home within my heart? For it is there and only there that I could experience real peace and joy. I started to search, dear son. I knew it lay in your eyes. I knew it lay in my father's. But had I ever looked in mine? Mm, so beautiful. So what do we mean by our sat nam and beginning that journey of looking in our own eyes at ourself? As you so beautifully explained, we can help guide our children to so that the quote-unquote self-centeredness is shifted to awareness, to self-awareness that can serve us. Yes. And then things are not black and white. Then things are not selfish or overdone. Does it make sense? Especially as, as we become adults and we have responsibilities. We, I've, I've worked with so many adults. When they say, hey Priya, I feel so selfish if I set healthy boundaries. I feel selfish when I take away 10 minutes from my children to close the door and just meditate or breathe. Oh yeah, I'm very familiar I, I am with that feeling. That yeah. I'm away from other people. Isn't that selfish? Well, and shame I shame too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And shame, right? And what do they say? That that's that's where the self awareness piece comes in. Like, why would it be selfish to bring myself into a state of balance so I can serve better to those I love, versus? being so imbalanced and so lost, but not letting myself come home. And in that case, I can't serve anyone else either. And mm -hmm. that creates more shame when you cannot be present with the people you love, when you cannot be fully present in the job that you so love, when you want to serve 
wherever, whatever you're doing, you want to be present and you want to serve the world. Yeah, you then to- your mind's in, I'm so selfish and you're analyzing what you just did, what you will do, and you're not present. Kind of like the word you used before, self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. Thoughts coming. That is, that is the beginning of shame, right? So I'm going to start for, yeah. I'm going to start criticizing myself for not being able to show up the way I should be showing up. Right. So how, so that's what I asked them. What, why do you think that is selfish? Why do you think it is selfish to set healthy boundaries and allow other people to learn to respect those boundaries? Because only you can do that. You can set those standards that create a sense of respect. You are informing other people where those boundaries lie. Is that self-absorption? Am I absorbed in myself without any mindfulness of what the other person can feel or need? Or is that absorption? Is that centeredness? Am I self-centered? Am I selfish? Or am I self-aware? And what is it saying about our heart? What is it saying about your heart? The truth. Yeah. It's... Right for that Heart person, it was saying place in, in us. It's it. It is. I mean, it was saying she it. loves her children. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she wants the best for them. Mm-hmm. But the the label of the selfish had taken over. Yes, and so we end up getting lost ourselves. And everyone we want to serve, we want. We are actually trying to help them be found, isn't it? Whether it's mm-hmm. our children, whether it's our spouses, whether it's our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, anything we do, anything that is purposeful to us, we are actually working hard to help them find themselves. But if we are lost, how do we help somebody else find themselves? And then how could it be selfish to take a tiny, tiny sliver of time of our own lives. We're not taking that from somebody else's life, mind you, of our own life. And take a path back home. Just go and touch that space and boom, I'm whole again. And now I can walk out in that full self-awareness in knowing where and how I need to balance When do I become self-absorbed? When do I lose myself in overgiving? Right? Two polarities. When do I become self-centered or defensive? Or when I'm under-resourced? And when do I attack others in that? Even though my intention is to serve them. Mm-hmm. I can see that that play happening with between being a mother and child. As a mother, we are trying our best to serve our children to create sensible, whole individuals. But that battle happens so frequently within these three areas, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Am I overgiving? Am I undergiving? Am I overdoing? Am I underdoing? Am I letting them take over? And when you see signs of self-absorption in your child, that means we've overgiven. We have to bring that back into balance. Hmm. We have to bring humility to them. 
And that's the word humility. Humility means that my I-ness, my ego mind, my ego identity realizes I'm not the doer. Mm-hmm. And I can bow to the true self. The, the ego bows to the true self. That is what the word humility means. And immediately there's a sense of balance. All shame disappears. So in that feeling of that moment, I want to I want to use it, the, that example and, and verbally kind of explain how one would get to what you're just saying, mm-hmm. where the ego is serving the true self. On any given day, somebody is you know taking care of their kids, and you're saying that they they have this selfish feeling by by placing boundaries. I place mm-hmm. a boundary. I I limit the time on their tablets, um, and you know, people deal with this, like you were saying, every day. Mm -hmm. And so in the moment you ask, okay, well, why do I think it's selfish if I'm following your guidance? And yet I believe the answer isn't just in answering that question, because we could say, um, well, it's because I care. It's because I I want my children to love me. I don't want them to be upset. Um, I I, whatever concerns that there might be, but the feeling of selfish can be dove into and why. The step after that is what? Is, is this serving, is the act or is the thought serving my true self? Or That's is this, is this, is this, because other people are watching, I don't want them to think this about my kid. Or do you understand what I'm saying? Like, what is a, a, a useful tip to handle a feeling when it's coming up to say, okay, well, it's, it's yes to question the feeling. Is it legit? But after that, how do you distinguish between... If I understand your question correctly, um, I'm assuming it is the example that we are taking is, let's say your child has been playing on a tablet for a long time. And as a mother, you want to now set a healthy boundary as to how they should use their time and space, which is you teaching them self-regulation. But if you give them the instruction to stop using their tablet and they're engrossed in something, they are going to kick and scream and yell and they're going to call you or think you are selfish, right? Now that projection happens at you. There's confusion within yourself. Am I being selfish? Should I let him play a little longer? Um, would, Would it be okay? Why am I causing such suffering in my child? And then added to that, if there's other people watching, now you're thinking what they're thinking about you as a mother to letting your child. Well, the ego mind identity can go on a whole ride and can just yeah. leave, lead it's you whatever. And you can fall asleep and then continue on a week, another month with this thing in your head that then becomes a label. Yes. Yes. And, and, and an adoption as truth. And yeah. I often say it. nobody talks about this, but parenthood comes with a huge dose of guilt. Because we really don't know how to navigate these fine lines and boundaries within parenthood because it's also very subjective. Every moment is different. 
Maybe in one moment, it might be appropriate to let them play a little longer. They finish their homework. They, they want, it's a weekend. We want to play a little longer. It's okay. I can have flexibility. But there's times that I should be setting a strong boundary here, right? So if we, we as parents, as individuals, if we are not clear as to why we are doing this. This is a pivotal point where what helped me to understand the whys of those feelings was if it was fear judgment-based. I knew that that was my survivalist mind. And this is just a tool that I use every day. It's like, is this, okay, yes, it's coming from a fear and or a judgment it, if I'm placing a boundary on my kid's iPad time. And, and be aware of that selfishness feeling. Be aware if it's bringing up shame from what other people think. But then I can ask myself if, if it's love, then I go to the soul side, to mm -hmm. the truth. Mm -hmm. I am having this feeling over here of feeling selfish. I'm just putting myself in the woman's shoes mm -hmm. because the truth is I'm a mom that cares. The truth is I hope my children grow to have a balanced life away from technology. This is the truth. And so when, when I can become aware of how that ego mind and its survivalist, it's trying to help us survive in the world. Thus, it creates these very rational things. My kids shouldn't be on the iPad that long for him. And be, just be kind of differentiating between those and then carrying those both with me. Okay, mine. That's okay. It. I'm being fair with this boundary. And it also comes from my soul and this thing about me. And that part that we described about looking at ourselves, teaching our kids to look at ourselves at what we're good at. And I know I'm a good mom. I know I want the best for, the, for my kids. And so I can come right here and keep that thought in check. Mm -hmm. That is transforming. That is preventing the thought from becoming shame. Mm -hmm. And it is transforming it if I'm noticing I feel ashamed because I was selfish. I hope that that makes sense. But it, it does. It kind but, of but is it, like that hands-on thing I'm hoping people get. Absolutely. I think that's that's brilliant. And just keeping that in mind, like what is the actual real reason behind setting this boundary? Yes. That self-awareness. I'm, I'm becoming self-aware. Is it because I've already said it and they're not listening to me and now it's going to be a game of egos? Yes. Headbutting because that happens a lot between parents and children too. Now it becomes a game of egos, right? Now it's coming, becoming more self-centered and self-absorbed. Right. Self-aware. And that's right. where the parent has more responsibility in, in that to not l let it go there, to not do the headbutting. Because to have opposition, you need two, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that self-awareness that keeps me, what is my purpose here? And what is my job, my role with this person? Is it to just to make them comfortable and happy, even if it's not serving them in the long run? Or is it to let them be upset now 
because it'll be serving them in the long run. So just checking in with that. And so it really takes now, if, if somebody's just beginning like a mindfulness journey or a spiritual journey, this it 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 our mental health recovery journey. Um, it takes going back to where we started in this conversation. It takes reflecting and looking within and and exactly what we want to teach our children is what are these characteristics that that are you? Yes. And, you know, you're loving or you like to walk, you like nature or whatever it might be is the real kind of beginning, the beginning ground um, to separate from an identity that is solely based on everything outside. Yes. And now, that is the journey of a, of a human experience we are meant to get lost in the outside there's no avoiding that and it should, should not be avoided but having been lost if we can find our way back to ourselves now we've mastered something instead of avoiding it so i just wanted to put that in there i get it yes it's not black and white no and and a lot of a lot of learnings a lot of teachings um, a lot, you know, including the program sometimes it's, it's very black and white and it's, and it's the shaming of, of all kinds of stuff and these labels we place on ourselves and no, 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 it's a, it's the walk, it's the balance. Yes. Even the shame of getting lost. How many people suffer from that? Mm. I've had people who've asked me, who've been on the spiritual journey and say, sometimes I think of how I used to be and I feel so much shame. That's terrible. But that's where you have to reconcile and understand from that larger truth that we are meant to get lost. We are meant to make mistakes. So to find our nam and elaborate a little bit on our what we're talking about, about our satnam, that original tapestry, that that true self. Well, every individual soul comes with a blueprint. And we come into this world with that program inbuilt into us that is a set of experiences or lessons that we are meant to have and to master. That is our original identity, and it is based, it comes from the soul. So if part of my lesson or experience may have been that I'm going to lose myself in drugs, for example, mm -hmm. if that was part of my blueprint, my satnam, that that's an experience my soul needed to have, and I've had that experience, then there is no need to feel shame around that. It is an experience that has been delivered as long as I don't get locked in that experience, as long as I don't just get identified by that experience. I've had that experience. Now I can let that go. 
and I can move forward into the next experience because your satnam is a collection of experiences and lessons. And anything you do in your satnam has no karma attached to it, has no shame attached to it. Anything that you do in your satnam, your true self, sat, truth, like you said, nam, is your identity, my original identity, not the identities that I have received by what my mother told me or what my father told me, what my colleagues tell me, what my friends tell me, what the culture expects from me. All of those are, yes, their identities, but that's not my true identity. Yes. So the self-awareness piece comes as, yes, here it is. This is so magnetic. The pull of the outer identities is so magnetic. It is so strong. But the self-awareness is like, hang on a second. How does this reconcile with my original identity? If they match, wonderful. If they don't match, the only thing that needs to change is on the outside, not on the inside. Right. And you've said we come from a core innocence. Yes. That is always there. Always there. The soul is changed, untouched, unchanged by whatever mistakes, mess ups you're making in your life. Your soul remains untouched by that. And any feeling of shame has to only be checked in in self awareness. Is the shame pulling me out of an identity? It's telling me, don't do this anymore? Or is it a misplaced shame where I have lost myself in my mistake? That's self-awareness. I, it's only up to me to gauge and differentiate between that because no one else can. Nobody knows your true identity, not even your parents, not your children, not your spouse. Even people closest to you cannot know what your real identity is. Only you can know that. So only you can bring it into that self-awareness and recalibrate the dynamics. So every action, every word, every choice you make is based in, is this serving my true self? Is this serving my sat nam? that bundle of experiences that my soul wants to have. And if it is, you will feel, immediately you will feel bliss inside of you. If it is not serving your satnam, immediately you will feel suffering. The litmus test is literally within our experience, right? Mm-hmm. That's the part I was trying to find, this, the Sunier part. Um, yes. All pain, suffering, and sorrow disappear. Now, let me tell you, folks, it was a long journey to fully feel the Satnam. It, it's always there. Yet, was I listening 
enough. What was blocking me for all those years, decades? And that was the the core wounds, the core titles mm-hmm. and and ways of feeling worthy, everything on the outside. My mind would use these core memories and wounds to as the basis for creating all sorts of different feelings that would then take a ride and just be an extreme psychologically disassociation, but then also just a way of living that was so detached from my satnam, always there. And so when um, my own shame was doing that, then then outside shaming came, it my soul was just like calling. We all have that. It was calling. And I think that's why the outside stuff was so painful because I knew of that innocence in me. I, 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 I knew that something there wasn't being seen by the outside world. <laughs> the people closest to me saw it, but had I looked and, and seen it for myself, I was frightened to. Mm. And with sound, with mantra, slowly but surely, I started feeling at least less frantic and unsafe in my body and mind. And more and more, I'm, I'm promising you, the more that we sit down with our breath, with sound or mantra, the voice will get a lot louder and clearer yes. and consistent. Now, I run to that today, and that is really the, the starting point, but our Sat Nam is always there, and we don't have to fear waking up and starting our day about what will show up in our head. We simply recognize it and say, thank you, mind. Okay. I see it, but today... We're in service of our numb. <laughs> and if I screw up, I will not let shame separate me more. So this is just a, a very, very beginning baby step is to just start with your breath to listen to that voice. And that is how we and our kids can really learn to embrace all of the beautiful things about about themselves and ourselves that you know the things we bring to the world that we are meant to bring to the world so that was a basic overview <laughs> thank you priya we'll we'll dig you. much much deeper um, into the kind of trauma effect of that that sense of self. 
that is needed for our negative mind to really do its job. I think that's also where it's needed. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Before we go, we're going to get, again, a very brief overview of the three things we covered. Self-absorption, self-centeredness, and self-awareness. So in self-absorption, that's the baby, right? That's the baby. That's the child. It's just natural animal instinct. It's about the basic needs. And we're all a little self-absorbed in we that. We see that in adults very yes. frequently. <laughs> yes. So that means that consciousness really hasn't moved out of that, that baby stage. Mm. And then the teenage stage is the, the self-centeredness. And ultimate goal is that as we develop and mature and grow, we can get to a place of self-awareness. So now you and I can look back at our childhood years or our teenage years or even our 20s and we can see, wow, I was very self-centered in those moments. It's actually relieving to take ownership of that phase of our life. And there, there can be a compassionate appreciation instead of shame to say, that was cool that I got to develop from that experience. And when we really dive in and understand how they function still in us today, by looking back, we can see how they pop up. Yeah, to what degree they've matured and developed and to what degree they're still right there. And it really depends on that level of consciousness. That's right. To get to self-awareness, consciousness of our true self. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Priya. So much to talk about. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. You are not alone. If you are dealing with shame and trauma, please reach out to me through my website, nadia-davis.com. You can get a free band shame tip sheet and find out about upcoming events. I'd love it if you picked up my book, Home is Within You, wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to follow me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sending warm hugs. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. 
Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.